Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fantasy Forefront Podcast. I'm Anthony Amico. You can follow me on Twitter at Amixta. And my co-host, as always, is Heath Kruger, who you can follow at Heath K. Heath, how's it going tonight? It's going well. Uh, got a day off work here for Memorial Day. Uh, everyone out there, you know, be sure to kind of reach out to anyone you know who may be serving in the military, the armed forces of any sort, and just kind of a little bit of a thank you. Um, I know we often kind of just view it as a way to get out of work, but it's kind of something that's, even though we're working technically doing a podcast on a holiday, I think it's something we should all pause and kind of give thanks to. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're a huge fan of uh, our armed soldiers here at the Fantasy Forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely thankful for all the stuff that they do. Always a good day to, to remember those things and, uh, you know, to do something that you can if you know. If you know someone who has served or is serving, you know, do something small for them. I'd probably appreciate it. Yep. Political opinion aside, it's it's all about people who are putting their lives on the line just to protect us. Yep, absolutely. Uh, now, tonight's show, we have uh, basically the second half of what we started last week, which is we'll talk AFC backfields. All right, we'll focus more on the more muddled situations in the AFC, but we'll make sure we touch on every backfield just to give you guys a, a heads up as to who we think is... You know, the guy to own, uh, how we think maybe touches will work out in a given backfield. Uh, and we'll start with the AFC East with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Bills last year, Heath, uh, were obviously a really run-heavy team. They were fairly successful on the ground, over 2,400 yards rushing. Uh, but a huge portion of that came from Tyrod Taylor. He ran the ball over 100 times, had uh, a little over 550 yards. Uh, so when I kind of look at this backfield, like I, I, even though there is a lot of production coming from it. Uh, my hope is that the primary rushing load ends up coming from, from one back. And, you know, obviously if that does happen. It's probably going to be LaShawn McCoy. Uh, he was fairly effective last year, averaged 4.4 yards per carry after what we thought was probably a down year in Philly. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure how much work Carlos Williams takes when both players are healthy. I've kind of been going back and forth about this. Like, I think Carlos Williams is a good player. I think the biggest area in which he hurt McCoy is probably touchdowns because I do think that they use Carlos Williams a lot in those short yardage situations. Uh, but if McCoy doesn't have any major injury concerns, uh, I would probably see this shaking out as closer to like a, you know, two, you know, 60, 66, 33% kind of a split between him and Carlos Williams, uh, where Williams is getting the short yardage stuff. And McCoy, I mean, McCoy had 50 targets last year, so I think he could be pretty effective through the air for this team as well. I think he's probably uh, the guy you want. I don't 100% know if I want him at his price because I, I would do want those touchdowns. But if you're going to own a one Bills running back, it's definitely going to be McCoy. Yeah, it's kind of a tough one for me because, you know, I, I was down on McCoy last year quite a bit. I, I really did not want any any part of him um, where people were kind of still looking at Sean McCoy as – you know, this, you know, former elite, you know, one of the top five running backs every single year, you know, that we have with Jamal Charles and Aaron Foster and, you know, um, guys of those ilk. Now, the thing that you brought up a really nice point, like, I think about a month back with, you know, the acquisition of Rob Ryan. I don't think he's a defensive coordinator, but he is still going to be a part of this defense. Um, and kind of how Rex Ryan teams seem to really, devolve and kind of fall apart over time. And with the defense not even being good last season, they lost Mario Williams. Do you feel that it may negatively affect the running game even as much as they would like to? 
Or do you think they're still just going to kind of, you know, be number one in total touches? Um, actually, they were number two in total touches last season, I think. Um, do you think that's going to continue on, or are they going to be forced to throw a lot more than they would like? Oh, they're definitely going to have to throw more than they probably want to. Uh, it's just a matter of, like, how much. Because I think that, like, they were effective throwing the ball last year. They are really efficient. Um, and, you know, they weren't a good football team, and they still ran the ball 500 times. So it's like, if they... Like, I'm not sure how much more downside there is to price in. Like, if they, like, if they're really, really bad, do they only run the ball then, like, 480 times instead of 510 times? You know, like, I don't know how many carries they could realistically lose, uh, from what they lost last year. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I'd probably be more down on McCoy if his ADP wasn't so reasonable. But, you know, I think it's 35th overall in ADP and best ball, uh, best ball league formats right now. That's, that's very reasonable. That's almost near fourth round in some cases. And for a guy who you can basically project, if he's going to be on the field, he's going to see a lot of volume. You can't really be that mad at, you know, that mad at it. I will say Carlos Williams, um, if his ADP does slip and, you know, he kind of falls into those later rounds, he might be a very nice value as this offense does not throw the ball really much at all to the running back position outside of LaShawn McCoy, who saw 50 targets um, last season. Uh, Carlos Williams only saw 14, but... Uh, yeah, he could be in tune, you know, in, in turn for a, a lot of volume if McCoy does go down, which he has been, you know, apt to do over the past couple of years. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, you know, we mentioned Williams as a, a best ball target a couple weeks ago. So I think we're definitely on the same page with that. Uh, let's move on to the Miami Dolphins, Heath. Uh, give me some Dolphins takes. So everyone, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's almost, we have to gain like a notch in our belt that kind of every week that goes by that Jay Ajayi remains the guy in Miami. We, we were big fans of his, you know, very early in the process. The only thing we were worried about was the team acquiring another running back without really giving Ajayi a, a full chance at the starting job. Um, you know, they went to the draft and not grab anyone that will be a, you know, they, they grabbed Kenyon Drake as the third running back, you know, in the draft, but he's not an in between the tackles kind of guy in it. And, and I know some people are uh, maybe a little higher on him than me. I'm I'm very very low on him, but um, at best he'll take a portion of the third down work, which I don't I don't think he'll like even really take the majority, um, as there's a, there's a lot of holes to his game. But Jay Ajayi in an offense with Adam Gase, um, which will hopefully pick up at overall in the offense with you know the addition of extra passing weapons in Leonte Carew. Um, Another year for Devontae Parker to expand and hopefully becomes that elite guy that a lot of people predicted he could be coming out of the draft. Jarvis Landry remains one of the most reliable targets in the NFL. That can mean a whole lot more scoring opportunities for Ajayi to add to his, you know, likely, you know, heavy workload that Adam Gase really likes to give to his feature running backs. Um, in Denver, CJ Anderson, there was a sole guy in Adam Gase offenses. And when, when they got it, they were very highly valuable. In, in fantasy football last season with Matt Forte, and he w- he was still very valuable in that Chicago offense that was pretty pretty garbage all around. And Jeremy Langford even kind of had his his time, um, while not nearly as effective, he was still fantasy viable. So um, Ajayi is a three down back. He can handle um, all aspects of the offense. You know, pass blocking, third down work, and the goal line too. So where you can get him right now at his value of I think it's 65th overall in ADP. I, I'm grabbing him all day there with 
um, with the, you know, Ryan Matthews kind of in that same area, Duke Johnson. It, there's just so many guys I like in that area that it's hard to really pick them. And I'm having to kind of, you know, spread the percentages around so I don't get too heavy on one guy. But yeah, Jay Ajayi, he's, he's going to be one of the guys I'm going after a lot, uh, a lot at that ADP this, this offseason. Yeah, he's a guy that we're definitely fans of on this show. I have to say, though, like, I'm definitely getting a little more nervous having, like, thought about it. And, like, I started doing my projections for Rotoviz. Like, I'm just worried. I'm worried about Kenyon Drake. I, I hate saying it because, like, I, I don't think that Drake is, like, comparable to Ajayi as, like, a player. But anytime, anytime your team drafts the third running back off the board and it's in the third round, like, that, that still has to mean something. Um, I don't think that, like, Ajayi is going to lose as much work as he would have lost to, like, a CJ Anderson if they had gotten him. Mm-hmm. But it just, his presence just, just worries me. Because I don't know, like, if he's Gase's guy, it might take a while for Ajayi to, like, take that role um, as, like, an all, you know, all-around lead guy. I mean, they seem to like him. Like, the blurbs post-draft on him have still been really good. So it's not like, I'm not like a bandit ship on him. But I do think that there's, like, a certain level of caution that you should take with Ajayi. Uh, like if his price starts to go up, I, I probably am going to abstain. Like, like RB25, I think is really reasonable. Uh, like there's still upside priced into that. But like if the summer starts going and, you know, he has like a big preseason run or he starts rising for whatever reason, I'm probably going to move. I'm probably move away from him. Yeah. And, and there has been talks lately that when Arian Foster is fully healthy, they'll bring him into Miami too. And if that happens, it's definitely going to take a big hit. Um, you know, for his value. I, I completely agree with that. However, I'm, I'm still wondering to myself, you know, with Jay Ajayi and kind of the, if you're an outsider looking in at that team, if you were to, you know, look at Ajayi at his, you know, his draft round value and, and think, well, he's just a six round guy. What's the big deal? Um, or, you know, the knee concerns, wondering, is this guy going to be in the offense for a while? Um, I think you could, it's very easy to be down on him. Um, however, recent reports with, from Adam Gase himself saying that Ajayi has very clearly separated himself from everyone in Miami at the running back position. And the fact that you know he still remains the guy in Miami and Arian Foster, even if he is signed, will likely be a part-time player. Um, I don't know. It's, it's really not enough to make me really to you know downgrade him significantly by any means. Um, it's a fair point, though. It, Kenyon Drake, if if he does, you know, come through and really take a lot of that third down work, if it proves to be effective somehow, um, it could hit his value. So maybe Ajayi is much more of the riskier propositions in the fifth round. So in that case, with so many guys that I like in that spot, I probably have the least amount in him um, as time goes on. But I think I'm still I'm still higher on him than most. Okay, I mean, I, I think that there's definitely still cost for optimism. I wouldn't I'm not like out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if we move on to the Patriots, find a guy that I love, which is Deion Lewis. Uh, for me, he is the guy you want in this backfield, but if you remember last year, uh, obviously Lewis was basically on the field like as a receiver. Um, did a lot of work out of the backfield. Not a ton of, of rush attempts, about seven rush attempts per game last season when he was healthy. Uh, those rush attempts and touchdowns are probably going to primarily come from the Garrett Blunt. So, you know, I, I think that all these guys in, in New England definitely have value, but I love Lewis because I think that he has like that top five kind of upside. Uh, I just wrote something for Rotoviz like last week, six reasons for drafting Deion Lewis. Uh, I definitely encourage you to read it. Like 
pretty much like Lewis is good. Like he was a good player. He had really good um, age-adjusted production at Pittsburgh. Obviously, last season he was incredible. Top top five running back in terms of points per game. Uh, obviously, he had the injury, so he didn't finish there overall. But in terms of points per game, he was top five. He had uh, three top six weeks at running back in PPR leagues. Only was outside the top 15 once out of the games that he started and finished. So he was really, really good last year. Uh, and if you just look at like what this team did with and without him on the field, seven games with him, nine games without him, uh, the differences are pretty stark. They averaged 35 points per game with Lewis last year, only 24 without. Uh, a little over three points per drive with, 1.89 without. Uh, they gave up less sacks, which is important because you know that Lewis is probably a pretty good pass blocker. Uh, and this is all with roughly the same number of pass attempts per game, uh, 39.14 with to 39.44 without. So like that offense as a whole was just much, much better with Lewis in the football game. Uh, so like I'm not really concerned about these ideas of like, oh, um, you know, maybe he ends up not being as big of a deal for them as offense. Like maybe Belichick gets away from him. Like I, if he's healthy, I absolutely expect him to be the guy and to be dynamic in terms of fantasy. And the reports right now are that he could be game ready in about a month. So, I mean, that still puts him, you know, two months ahead of uh, opening kickoff for the season. So I, I think that there's a lot of reason for optimism. He's going as RB17 right now in MFL 10s. So, I mean, you get a guy with top up upside, I think, at that price, you have to do it. Uh, and then just with the other guys, like I, like I said, I think Blunt's a guy that you can take for those touchdowns. Like, he's probably a guy you probably want a little more in a standard league than a PPR. Uh, and I kind of like Donald Brown as like a really deep sleeper just because I think he's like a good handcuff player to Lewis and to Blunt because we've seen him perform as a receiver. We've seen him perform as a runner. And I think if either of those guys got hurt, he might slide in there and pick up some nice value. Yeah, you know, it's going to be one of those positions that, that holds value as it kind of seems to always be that way. Um, really independent of who it is, you know. Deion Lewis very clearly showed that he... You know, he separated himself from the pack in New England, but this team is well known for taking guys that no one had even heard of and making them, you know, fantasy stars at the running back position. Um, the Garrett Blunt, I'm I'm completely out on him at this point. I I thought he he had an opportunity last season to really take hold of that offense and prove that you know he could do a lot in terms of um, offensive production. For the you know the Patriots at a time they needed it and he really failed in all aspects he was not good um, he's the only one who's really even a, a carry threat in my opinion to Lewis and I think Lewis at this point might even be better than him on the ground um, still not gonna get those goal line touches by any means but he you know he's one of those guys that I think even at, at a fourth round it's <laughs> it's funny um, you know we did the road of his MFL 10 as of late or uh, just recently and. It was like people were fighting over him at his point to, you know, everyone knew where Deion Lewis was supposed to go. And it's kind of like a, you know, game of chicken. Who was going to pull the trigger first and go that much earlier, you know, go up and grab him. And I think, if I remember correctly, he was taken at the um, two, two, three turn by Rotodoc, just sniped him right in front of me. And I would have, I was taking him at 302 if Rotodoc did not take him. So. It's gonna be very, it's gonna be very valuable in my opinion. That you know, that safety valve kind of guy for Tom Brady in this, um, you know, short, really short passing offense, but high volume amount of passes. 
I was a little concerned at first, considering how many you know quality targets were we're going to see in New England. We're, you know, we have Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, um, the recent addition of Chris Hogan, um, the the rookie why, from Georgia. I, I can't think of his name right now, and I love him. Oh, uh, Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm Mitchell. He will be on that offense now. Um, there's a lot of guys to like. Oh, yeah, Martellus Bennett. Um, will we? Will he see the same volume? I'm not quite sure, but still, even if he gets up to like 90, 90 targets, I, I think that's plenty to go with probably the, you know the likely hundred carries if he's able to stay on the field. That'll be plenty for him to produce as you know an RB one in PPR leagues. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just like he is just like the classic guy to me that is always going to be biased against because he's not like a traditional running back. Yeah, you know, because he doesn't do like the things that we like from your average running back, people are just going to be hesitant to take him, even though what he does is actually more valuable than what most other running backs do. Yeah. And if you guys have been keeping up with Rotoviz um, as of late, we've we've done a lot of work recently. I think Fantasy Douche did a piece on just how significant when you play in PPR leagues those passing targets are relative to you know rushes on the ground. And it, it's not even close. And it's really opening the door to a lot of these guys, you know, like, Danny Woodhead, Giovanni Bernard, Deion Lewis, Duke Johnson, a lot of these guys that you know a lot of people are just kind of cast aside as, yeah, well I'll grab them like in the fifth or sixth round and I'll hope they you know they get more opportunity. Well, they have plenty of opportunity as it is. You just gotta you gotta gotta take that leap and, and get out of that mindset of carries are equatable to fantasy value. Um, and I think it's moving in a much different direction now um, when it comes to fantasy football. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kevin Cole did the thing last year about weighted touches. He said yeah. a reception is worth three and a half times a rush. So, I mean, put that in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, New York Jets, Heath. Uh, I'm a Giants fan, so I, I'm sure I'll have some Jets takes as well. But I'm really interested into where you think this backfield's going next year. Um, very highly valuable, I will say that. Any, any Chan Gailey offense is going to... Make the running back position very, very valuable. He made the likes of C.J. Spiller look like a superstar that we had to absolutely own in Dynasty. You know, formerly a guy that I wanted to take first overall ahead of Adrian Peterson at one point in my fantasy football life. But yeah, now with the addition of Matt Forte, I'm I'm kind of under the under the thought that he's going to see the majority of the touches, um, even though that the contract between him and Bilal Power fairly equatable i would say that's more of you know kind of how highly they think of Bilal Powell than more of that they think lowly or think you know not all that much of matt forte uh matt forte should be the bell cow in this offense with no you know no chris ivory um sadly one of our you know fantasy favorites Kyrie robinson is there i was really wishing he would have gone to another team and gotten a better opportunity but i think he's going to be much more of a backup role in this offense um, it's going to be hard to really gauge. I, I, I think this offense is going to remain um, kind of one of the, the better scoring offenses, which means goal line touches for Matt Forte. That's always great. Everyone knows how good he is in the passing game. Um, Chan Gailey has been known to you know throw the ball a ton to the running back position. Um, Bilal Powell will cut into that. Um, you know, kind of, I'm thinking more of like a 50-50 split would maybe slightly favored toward Forte, if I had to guess. Um, making Forte the clear guy to go after, in my opinion, in fantasy football. Um, 
However, he Bilal Pal could be one of those you know late round guys that you know he's kind of a poor man's Giovanni Bernard. I wouldn't mind having a guy like that um, to really kind of have on the end of my bench as an emergency, maybe a flex spot type of guy. You're gonna get him really cheap, and he could be in for more opportunity if Matt Forte, you know, he's getting up there in age. Is he is 30, 30 years old? Is he 31? Uh, definitely in that range. I can look it up if you want. Yeah, it's it's pretty close to that, but either way, he he is getting up there, and there's a lot of tread on those tires, or not a lot of tread left on those tires. Excuse me. So if he goes down, Bilal Powell could be in for a ton of opportunity, and we saw what he could do in this offense when Chris Ivory went down um, last season. So yeah, I'm I'm really high on Forte, really high on Bilal Powell, and and it really doesn't even matter to me who the quarterback is, to be honest with you. Maybe that's more my Geno Smith truther coming out, but. Yeah, I, I don't see a, a real big difference going from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Geno Smith, so I'm not even looking as at that as a um, as a qualifier to drafting either of these guys. Yeah, I, to be honest, if I'm gonna draft one, I'm absolutely taking Blah Powell because I just okay. I just like like you said the Galley thing. We obviously saw what Powell did last year, but it's like if I had the choice between taking the guy at running back 16 or the guy at running back 50, and I think that they're basically the same guy. Like, I'm going to take the guy at running back 50. And I think that, that yeah. Forte and Powell, like, I mean, Forte is, like, obviously a better player. But in terms of what they're going to produce, I don't think there's that much of a difference between, okay. you know, between them. You know, like, assuming that, like, if, if the other guy got hurt, like, if Forte didn't exist or Blau Powell didn't exist, I don't think, like, the fantasy points would be that different. You know? Forte is the guy to start. Hmm. But I think that the Jets, like... If you're the Jets, like, do you have any real incentive if you have Blau Powell to not use him? Like, I, I don't. I think that like for them, it's in their best interest to keep Forte fresh and not burn him out. Like, I don't. I don't know why they just heap a load on him when they have Powell, who has a skill set that we already know works in his offense. So I'm just really skeptical of Forte, and I'm probably gonna draft prime best ball, but like in straight redraft, I'll probably have a bunch of Powell. Okay. Okay. I'm a little higher on Forte, but let, let me ask you this. So. Right now, there's kind of a cluster of these guys in the you know uh, late third, early fourth round. Uh, Carlos Hyde, uh, actually Lashawn McCoy, Carlos Hyde, Thomas Rawls, C.J. Anderson, Matt Forte, and Dion Lewis. Those are six guys. Where would you take Matt Forte among those six? So I have so it's C.J. Anderson. You said Dion mm-hmm. Lewis, Thomas Rawls, Thomas Rawls, Carlos Hyde, and Lashawn McCoy. Oh. I mean, I'm definitely taking Lewis and Hyde ahead of him. Um, I'd probably take Forte over Rawls, but that might be it. Okay. That might be it. I, I, would, I would take him at a third of that list, personally. I, I'm with you, and you, you've kind of got the bug in me for Carlos Hyde and, and Deion Lewis. I've, I've always been really high on. But, yeah, I, I'm at, I have him at three among that list. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think past – I think – I think Lewis and Hyde are like the two big ones, and then past that, like you could probably talk me out of, out of like guys like Anderson and McCoy. I'm I'm just like not interested in like in running backs like that. Like if I'm taking guys, I'm taking them because I think they can be the guy, and I don't really think that Forte can can be that this year. I I just don't think that it makes sense for them as a football team to do that. Okay. Uh, AFC North. We'll start off with the Baltimore Ravens. He, uh, we're definitely Team Tressman on this show, right? Oh yeah. Team Trustman all the way. All right, so it's uh, what what running backs do you think we can we can scavenge from that backfield? <clears throat> so this one, 
This is probably the one I think you're going to get the most disagreement all off season on. As I, could it be more muddy than this? Ugh, it's a disaster. Honestly, I did the, I did the Ravens already for my projections, and I was just like, uh-huh. I don't even know how to divide this. Yeah, up. It, it's a complete mess. But this is the thing: it's not a mess you want to avoid. You want to take a shot on on at least one of these guys, depending on how you feel. Um, you know, whether it's higher on one guy than the other, lower on one guy than the other, take a shot on someone, and here's why. So over the last two seasons, the running back position in Trestman's offenses has finished fourth and third, respectively, in terms of targets to the running back position. In terms of weekly scoring, running backs under Trestman have finished in the top 12 in PPR 16 times, with 11 of those finishes being in the top five in weekly scoring. Even better, he has shown a tendency to stick with one single guy in a single game and not deploy committees. It's perfect for fantasy football, DFS likes, you know, everything that you want, you know, when you're playing this game. So looking at the depth chart, you have Justin Forsett, Javorius Allen, Kenneth Dixon, Lorenzo Taliaferro, Terrence West, and Trent Richardson. So reading recent reports from Baltimore beat writers, it sounds like they're going to hold on to four. Um, I'm predicting that Terrence West, Trent Richardson are gone, and Talia Farrell will remain as kind of that guy that everyone yells at at the screen that, you know, you know vultures those touchdowns. We'd much rather have a you know, guy on our fantasy team snag him, but I digress. So in my opinion, the likely starter, at least at first, will be Justin Forsett. Uh, he was the clear starter last season before he broke his arm in Week 11. Given he's going into, you know, his age 30 season, quality competition behind him, and he really... He wasn't all that efficient with the touches he did get last season. It's not a lock that he holds on to that spot. However, I will say that right now he represents a quite a potential value at 109 in MFL Best Ball Leagues. That's 10th round, near 10th round, uh, for a, a guy who, you know, starting PPR back who might see a, a ton of targets. Yeah, grab him up. Um, now, Buck Allen. I predict Buck Allen by the end of the offseason will be the guy that most people target in drafts, which is understandable. You know, when he took over the starting job last season in week 11, he finished as a PPR running back one in four of the six weeks he started for Baltimore. However, that was much more dependent on volume than it was him, you know, being all that efficient on the field. You know, he only averaged 3.8 yards per carry on 137 carries and averaged 7.6 yards per reception on 45 catches. Not all that great, and in my opinion, he doesn't really represent the greatest long-term option either, given his athletic profile and level of production he displayed at uh, USC. Um, Now, Kenneth Dixon is the guy I feel represents the greatest value. I know everyone out there who has been a consistent listener to the podcast knows I'm, I'm high on Dixon as a prospect, but he's also the least likely guy to hit this season as a fantasy player. He has a three-down skill set, uh, you know, represented. A, he was a dominator rating of 42.4% in college at Louisiana Tech, which is in the 90th percentile. And he did that behind possibly the worst offensive line in all of college football last season. Um, he's got decent long speed, nice agility, and the highest BMI of all the, you know, the three Baltimore backs that are there. However, he's the new guy in the backfield. You know, this isn't a situation where he's walking into opportunity. Either the guys in front of him will have to get hurt, or they'll have to perform poorly to the point where Dixon is given a shot. And honestly, as much as I like him, I don't think Forsett or Allen are going to perform that poorly. And and then the fact that 
Dixon's best ball ADP as of right now is 106. It's actually it's it's the highest of the three. I don't I you don't really get a discount on him either. So if I had to order the three relative to their current ADP in best ball, I would um, I would prefer Buck Allen first in the twelfth round at an ADP of 129. Um, and then I'd go after Forsett because at least I have some guaranteed opportunity there for a few weeks at least. Uh, he might not hold on to it all, you know, the job all season, but at least I get a few games out of him. And then I'd go after Dixon. However, in redraft, since you're really looking for those guys that could represent the highest week-to-week value as you have to make a decision as to who to start for your fantasy team, I really like the idea of going after Buck Allen and Kenneth Dixon as if this ADP kind of this best ball ADP transitions to redraft ADP to be able to grab um, Kenneth Dixon in the 10th round and Buck Allen in the 12th round, you're going to get a guy who's going to be highly valuable at some point this season. Um, and it could represent, you know, PPR running back one type production. And it, it's almost kind of like Atlanta last season to where, you know, the likes of Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, um, one of these guys is going to be valuable because I don't think Justin Forsett holds onto that job and you get him at a, a really nice discount. So yeah, that, that's kind of how I'm really approaching Baltimore right now. Okay. Now for me, I am all Buck Allen and I'm probably, I'm probably going to write something about this soon. I don't think anyone's addressed this on Rotoviz yet. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause like the prices don't make any sense to me. So no, they don't like right now. Like you said, like Forsett and Dixon are going pretty close to each other as like fringe top 100 picks. And then Allen right now is going like towards the end of the top 150. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I, when I project this team, I had Buck Allen as my top Ravens running back. I don't think that there's anything that Kenneth Dixon can do that Buck Allen can't do. I mean, we, we just saw Buck Allen as a rookie average like five receptions a game down the stretch. I think his receiving ability as a professional athlete is is proven. Uh, I don't think that Justin Forsett is is long for this team. I think I think this year he's basically going to be nothing. Like I think he's going to be a backup in case of emergency. Like this team went out of their way last year to draft Buck Allen, and then with a pretty similar pick, they went out of their way to draft Kenneth Dixon. I think that they're pretty similar players. I think that probably the most likely outcome is honestly that they split. A lot of the work. I mean, they're both pretty good receivers. They're both like meh as runners. Uh, Forsett is obviously not any better as a runner, so it's not like that'll get him on the field. So uh, I'm just giving the edge to, to to Allen because of price and because of the fact that he is he's experienced I and mean, he's been successful already uh, with his team. Yeah, yeah. And, and if that changes, would you kind of be willing to say like you know if Kenneth Dixon's ADP drops and Allen's rises with something we hear from training camp or OTAs, would you be willing to take the other side of kind of whichever's cheaper? Yeah, yeah, definitely. If it's, you know, especially if it's by like a decent amount. Like I think right now, like 50 picks is, is too wide. Uh, yeah. So, I, but if it's close, like if they end up being like, if everyone's being taken at pick 125, for instance, like I'm probably still taking Buck Allen. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland Browns, Heath. This is pretty easy, I think, for us. I mean, we are very, oh, we yeah. are very pro Duke Johnson on this show, so I don't want to waste anyone's time like, we talked about Duke. He's going to get the receptions. Uh, his upside basically is determined by how many rush attempts he ends up getting. And Isaiah Crowell is not good. Don't listen to what people try to tell you on Twitter. Like I've seen, <laughs> I've seen tweets like trying to promote Isaiah Crowell as good, and he is not good. Like certain Rotoviz writer. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to call. I mean, I'll, 
if we're talking about Mocker, I'm not going to talk about him in in higher voice. <laughs> I already you just I already, you just called him out. I already talked I already <laughs> talked to him about that that stupid chart. I, that chart was egregious. All right, okay. you can't make you can't make filters where like the player you want is like the worst guy in the filter, and then be like, oh, like look at all the players he matches up with. Like it doesn't work that way. I already told him that though. So I don't mind saying it on the show. But like other people who think Isaiah Crowell are good are also wrong. Um, Oof. Just not that efficient. Just not an efficient player. Like there's really no reason to take him. Is there, there's really no reason to me, at least, to take Duke Johnson off the field. Cause he does so many things well that Isaiah Crowell does not do. Like he's more dynamic. Uh, obviously he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, so I'm just not really, I'm not really into a guy like Crowell. Like I, I think we said this a couple weeks ago. Like, this is Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill all over again, except if, Jer- if Jeremy Hill was drunk and Gio Bernard was just healthy all the time. Like that's that's this backfield, and I just I just I have no no interest at all in that well. And I would say Duke Johnson's even a little a little bit above Giovanni Bernard because I think he actually did very well between the tackles at Miami. Um, and Isaiah Crowell has not really he's not a bad running back per se. He's just he doesn't give you anything above replacement value, in my opinion. He's just kind of a guy that you throw out there. You know, he's he's long for a, a perfect backup position. You know, he's your he's your Tim Hightower. Um, poor man's Jeremy Hill was a was a great comparison. He's you're gonna be hoping for touchdowns week to week, and that's all you're really gonna hope for him in this offense. We're, we're much more optimistic on this Browns team than we were last season, um, given our boy Hugh is well, at least my boy Hugh. Is now the head coach of this team, and will be calling the offense. Um, much more optimistic on the team, but it's still not a, a for sure thing that they turn into a top ten or even like a, a top half offense this season so quickly. So, and, and not to mention, Duke could be the number one target this season on that team if, if Josh Gordon does not come back. I know we all love Corey Coleman, and justifiably so, but you know, wide receivers don't always catch on that quickly. In football, and sometimes it takes a little time. And Duke Johnson, probably the most proven wide receiver left on that, well, not wide receiver, but pass catching player on that team. So outside of the barn, but yeah, I, I'm all over Duke this season. I'm going to have him everywhere. Redraft, best ball, you name it. I, <laughs> I mean, I like the comparison between Duke Johnson and Gio Bernard is like so absurd, like so absurdly accurate. It's not even funny. Like if just look at like the. Pre- like what they were as athletes coming out of college. Uh, Gio Bernard, 202 pounds, Duke Johnson, 207. Like that's probably the biggest difference between them. That's how sick, that's how close these guys are because at the combine, Gio ran a 4.52, Duke runs a 4.54. Explosion score, 155.5 for Gio, 154.5 for Duke. Uh, Agility score for Gio, 11.03. Uh, Duke did not do the agilities at the combine, but it was pro day 11.04. Like they are literally carbon copies of each other. And Duke Johnson is five pounds heavier, you know, and that's just, it's just crazy to me that we could look at this backfield and think that Isaiah Crowell is even in the mix because he just shouldn't be. Well, he will be in the mix, but. No, right. But I'm saying like fantasy. in terms of what you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just yeah, for fans. Exactly. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, he, Hugh Jackson's old team. What do we think of this back? I think this back is pretty difficult, honestly. So I'm interested in what you think. Yeah. So <clears throat> two guys, pretty, you know, it's kind of been that way for the last year or two. Um, Giovanni Bernard, Jeremy Hill. So over the last two seasons, Gio has seen 168 carries and 59 targets in 2014 and 158 carries and 66 targets in 2015. 
Now the landscape has changed a ton. Mohamed Sanu, Marvin Jones lost in free agency. Poor one out for Tyler Eifert. We're kind of unsure when he's going to return. Pretty serious injury. Um, it could be for the start of the season. He might take a little bit of time getting back onto the field. He might start the, start the year on the pup list. So Gio, as of right now, could very easily be the number two target in this offense, given the other pass catchers are Brandon LaFell, rookie Tyler Boyd, and second-year tight end Tyler Croft. Uh, not to mention, he simply outplayed Jeremy Hill in terms of carries on the ground as well last season. So if Jeremy Hill comes out looking as poor as he did, Gio might see more work on the ground as well as an increased target load. He could become a focal point of this offense along with A.J. Green real quick and prove to be a really great value at his ADP of, you know, of 65 right now in the sixth round of best ball leagues. Now, Jeremy Hill, he's a real wild card to me. I know a lot of people are writing him off, but I don't think you should yet. You know, coming off that rookie season, optimism was really high going into a second season. Um, many thought he was on the path to being the next big thing at running back in fantasy football. And then the bottom just absolutely fell out. And I can't give you a good reason as to why it did. Um, I just did not recognize the guy on the field. 3.6 yards per carry on the ground. Only saw 19 targets in the passing game. Was just all around inefficient on the field. Completely touchdown dependent in fantasy football. Was only really useful in those random multi-touchdown weeks that he had. Um, it's like two weeks with two touchdowns, and I think one week he had three, and that that's all you really got out of him. But don't forget how great he was in 2014. This is the guy who averaged 5.1 yards per carry on 220, 222 carries on the ground. Excuse me. That was the highest in the NFL that season, totaling 1,124 yards and nine touchdowns to go along with 27 catches for 215 yards. Those two seasons are such a stark contrast to to each other that it's hard to say which one is the true Jeremy Hill. Um, is he likely to be either of the guys on both extremes? Probably not. Is he somewhere in the middle? In all likelihood, yes. Um, now, will I be going after him in fantasy? It's unlikely that I will. Um, you know, his ADP of 66 overall, that's nearly identical to Gio. I think that's one spot after. Who I'd much rather have Gio as he hasn't really had that low spot that we saw from Jeremy Hill. Um, however, Hill still represents a guy with a ton of upside. And if I'm being honest, probably a higher ceiling than Gio as I see Jeremy Hill as a guy who can catch the ball, you know, can, you know, do that third down work, maybe not as well as Giovanni Brown, and he can handle goal line touches and, you know, essentially the early down work. So as of right now, I'm clearly taking Gio over Hill unless that ADP changes, but if Hill's ADP starts to drop, and that can get him probably in the seventh, eighth round as a lottery ticket kind of guy to to grab as you know something, maybe something happens to Geo, or maybe he picks back up his same level of play from 2014. He could be a huge value, but it's definitely going to be more of a, a lottery ticket type play than something I'm going to rely on week to week. Yeah, I'm I'm probably not drafting Jeremy Jeremy Hill Jeremy <laughs> at all at that price. I mean, that's just way too high. Like, what what did he do last year to justify that price? Um, nothing. Exactly. Like you say, he scored like a handful of touchdowns in a couple of games. Uh, and I honestly think that with Eifert being injured, that that, that might even give Gio like a small boost. Not, not anything major, but I mean, listen, if you 90 lose, targets? Yeah, like, is that, is that out, is that outlandish? No, no, that's in play. I definitely that's in play. He's that kind of guy. I mean, we don't really know how like the new OC is going to handle anything. Like he, he was hired from within. So my assumption is that 
the offense is going to run pretty similarly to how it did last year, but you never know. I mean, and Andy Dalton is can be Captain Chuck down if he wants to. I mean, it's not really that hard to, to fathom. Yeah. So I could definitely see Geo just, like you said, getting the big targets, like maybe splitting carries relatively evenly with Hill and making up for the touchdowns with the receptions. So I, I like Geo a little bit. Not not a ton. Um, you know, he's still going near. You know, like I like Matt Jones more. He's going a little bit ahead of him. I like uh, Duke more. Who's going like probably around the same range? So like that, I, he's not like a shoe in for me, but he's definitely a guy I would take in the right circumstances. Okay. Uh, AFC South. We'll start with the Houston Texans. This is pretty open shut to me. It's Lamar Miller. It's Lamar Miller, and then it's more Lamar Miller. Um, yep. The only, the only, I'm not, not concerned, but I would say the only thing that I would say is they they did draft Tyler Irvin, and Tyler Irvin is very good. Um, so it may not be a super lock that Miller gets, like, the Arian Foster 25 touches a week load. Um, but he's still going to see more work than he saw in Miami. And he's going to do it for a team that last year was really, really good at accentuating their talent. I think the one thing Bill O'Brien just does really, really well is get get his best guys the football as many times as possible. He did that with Hopkins, did that with, with Foster. Uh, I think Foster being out hurt Hopkins because then he just became the one guy. But... Uh, with, with both those guys in the field, I think Miller's going to get plenty of work and be put in a lot of situations to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I, I like Lamar Miller a lot. I like Tyler Irvin a lot because it's they both represent guys that, you know, Lamar Miller, If as long as he stays healthy, stays on the field, in all likelihood, he's going to be a top five back every week, uh, standard and PPR. Um, probably the number two receiver in that offense as of right now. I, I don't really see serious competition. Will Fuller's going to be, I, I'm viewing him as much more of a role player, especially in his first season, um, than a guy that they're going to you know, throw a, lot, a ton of targets to. Um, and then Tyler Irvin. If Lamar Miller goes down, Tyler Irvin fits right into that role perfectly, in my opinion. Um, and if they try to deploy one of these committees like they did last season, they're just, they're just killing themselves. Alfred Blue is not that good. I know he's been reliable, but he's not that good. Tyler Irvin's going to very clearly outplay him. Um, and it would be kind of one of those David Johnson situations as of last season if he was to get on the field and everyone would be, you know, just screaming from the rooftops to give this guy all the work that Lamar Miller once got. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of both of them. as Their ADP is reflective and highly valuable of what you can get out of both of those guys. Did you just say that Alfred Boo was somewhat reliable? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he... He doesn't fall down. <laughs> um, he runs in a straight line. He's not. He's not good by any means. He's not good. But <laughs> if I ever have to get know. fired, I hope that you're the one that does it. Because I would feel so like I wouldn't even be mad. I'd be like very carefully let down. Um, well, I mean, you can't have all stars everywhere. I mean, sometimes you got to have the guy who can just do the dirty work, and that's Alfred Blue. That's <laughs> I guess that's fair. That's that's fine. Shows up to shows up to work every day on time. We don't we know. don't know that. We don't know that for sure. Uh, well, <laughs> we're, we're, he's certainly not getting the uh, the Ryan Mallet treatment by any means. So. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> Indianapolis Colts, Heath. I know this is a this is your team, so I'm expecting real insight here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Does it hold any value? I don't know. Frank Gore is going to get a ton of work again. Um, is it justified? No, because he's not good. 
3.6 yards per carry on 264 carries. Couldn't touch a thousand yards. Really didn't catch all that many passes. Um, yeah, he get he gets some goal line work, but he's not good at it. I mean, he said those carries last season were um, some of the worst he's ever had in his career. He, he's very clearly run down, even though he somehow remains on two feet. Yeah, we agree with Frank. Um, we agree with his uh, his prognosis of his own his own ability. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, he he's just worn down at this point. You know, it's. It was a horrific signing um, by Ryan Gregson, as is pretty much all the decisions he makes as a GM. Um, yeah, there's and Robert Turbin might be the backup. We don't know. He's not given backup money. He has to make the team. Um, who else do we have here? Tyler Varga. Is he moving the needle for anybody? Yeah. Jordan Todman? Never. Yeah. He's never moved a single Just, needle. <laughs> Josh Ferguson? I mean, people... people Apparently, there's already Josh Ferguson truthers. Um, I think you guys might want to see him on the field first. You know, he's not really an undrafted guy. It's I, I guess he's the youngest guy in this offense. He's got that on his side. Um, maybe he won't. We don't know for sure what he is, so maybe he has the allure of the unknown there. But you know, Josh Robinson was the same thing last season. And did he make it? Did he make it three games before being sent to the practice squad? <laughs> it's it's just a wasteland here. I mean, Frank Gore, everyone hates taking Frank Gore. I don't want to say everyone hates Frank Gore. People love Frank Gore. Um, everyone hates taking him in fantasy football. As you know, you're not really getting much in terms of, like, weekly upside. Um, he'll, you know, he's kind of like Alfred Blue. He's going to show up every week. But that's about it. And if you can get him, like, in best ball in the 10th round, he's going to be one of those guys you're going to have to hold your nose and take as he still represents some value. If this offense picks back up and, you know, just touchdown upside alone, we'll kind of get him there. But, uh, yeah, nothing to really get all that excited about, especially redraft. I'm probably just, I might take, like, I think I took Robert Turbin in the 19th round in the best ball league the other day. That's, I think that's the one share I have. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not, I don't want any part of this, really. I agree. Uh, the fantasy bird, by the way, is going nuts about Frank Gore right now. Um, yeah. 50 minutes of silence followed by hot takes. Um, I, <laughs> and of all people, Frank Gore, yeah. fantasy bird. I, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had it, do you think any running back on this team gets more than 200 carries? Oh, Frank Gore should if he stays upright, which he kind of has a track record of doing so, even though he's, God, was he 42 now? Yeah, he's old. I, uh, I, I just don't think I'm going to take him. Like, I, we were talking about this before the show. Like, he, like you said, he's like the classic kind of guy that, like, he does have a decent floor. You know, it's not like it's not like you take him and he's in the tenth round and you and you just lose. I just really question if he's ever startable. Like, even if even if you get him in the tenth and like he beats that value, like, are you ever gonna start him? That's that's like my yeah. issue. Whereas like I could see a guy like Josh Ferguson because he's a really good receiver and the Colts throw the ball like fifty times a game. I could see him panning out. I mean, like, Ahmad Bradshaw, like, the, the most valuable running back from this team for the last, like, two or three years was Ahmad Bradshaw, and it's because he was good in the receiving game. Yeah. So, if, if whoever that guy ends up being this year, I feel like that's a guy that could have value, and maybe it ends up being Ferguson. Maybe it ends up being Turbin. I mean, that was probably the only reason he saw the field ever in Seattle. He could be a yeah. good, he could be a good pass blocker. Maybe, you know, maybe the, the skies will open and Arian Foster signs with the Colts. How awesome would that be? That would be, that would be lit. Oh my gosh. I, I, I'd buy a Foster jersey. 
Wow, you go that wouldn't, far. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even hesitate. I would have a Foster jersey. Might even have two of them, home and away. Oh gosh, oh gosh. <laughs> where, where, yeah, where would you have money to DFS roster? Yeah, <laughs> I would. I would be in love with that move. But it's Grigson, so that's no, that's not happening. Definitely not. Uh, but if it does, it'd be for like ten million dollars a year. Um, <laughs> of course, for ten, for six years. Right, yeah, exactly. We really gotta lock this guy up. Yeah. Um, Jacksonville Jaguars. We've talked about this backfield a little bit. I think it's interesting in the sense that they did sign Chris Ivory, even though they had T.J. Eldon, who I thought was like honestly pretty good as a rookie. Uh, it seems to me like they are trying to fill like their their own their own narrative of like Yeldon not scoring touchdowns. We're like, okay, we'll just bring in Chris Ivory, who's like a human battering ram. But honestly, is no better at the goal line than Jay Eldon, and we'll just make him do those things. Um, now, I think that there's a there's some regression probably in play for this team in terms of red zone pass attempts versus red zone rush attempts. So, I, you know, the rushing touchdown thing could end up mattering, but there's just no way I'm touching Chris Ivory. Like, I, I you know, he's he's not good. Like, he's not a good receiver. I know last year he caught like a bunch of passes. But if you're talking about like Yeldon versus Ivory as a receiver, it's slam dunk Yeldon. He's done it his whole career, college, pro. Like he looks like a receiver. Ivory basically was just like there last year and he caught some passes. Like I'm not really that impressed. Um, so I like Yeldon from that standpoint. Ivory isn't even really coming at that big of a discount. He's still RB 36. He's going uh, 11 spots after TJ Yeldon. Like that's not really that big of a discount for me to take a guy like Yeldon who last year was a proven workhorse before he got injured. Um, I think Yeldon could be pretty good in the grand scheme of things. So for me, I'm probably drafting Yeldon if I'm taking anyone, but I'm probably just avoiding the backfield overall. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I was a little higher on Yeldon in the early part of the season, but the more research I do on that Jaguars backfield and just the the offense as a whole, um, I'm growing less and less optimistic. TJ Yeldon I viewed as kind of one of those guys that – you know, one of those primary, you know, zero RB kind of guys that it only takes one injury for him to fall into a ton of opportunity as he kind of has that third down work locked up as Chris Ivory just, like like you said, I know he caught passes, but he is still not good at catching passes. He's horrific laterally. Um, TJ Yeldon does that very well. And TJ Yeldon can handle a ton of volume like he did at Alabama. Um, so a few things break his way. He could be valuable, but... This is also a team that opted to give, um, gosh, what was that train wreck's name? Toby Gerhardt. They opted to give Toby uh, Gerhardt four touches in a row at the goal line instead of just giving it to their, you know, their high second round pick last season. It's there's so many question marks when it comes to usage with T.J. Yeldon. Even if he does kind of get that break in Chris Ivory, um, you know, he gets that full workload. It's I don't know. It, I'm still drafting him if I get him at a value, but um, far less optimistic than I once was on him. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm like, interested in the sense that, like, maybe I can get him cheap in Dynasty. Like, someone's just yeah. like, oh, man, I think this guy won't be that good. And they try to get rid of him. Like, I'm, I'm on with that. <clears throat> and that's about and it. And ultimately, and sorry for interrupting, but ultimately, if, if this team's a winning team, it's with Blake Bortles throwing as few passes as possible. I understand that, like, he kind of, we loved the fantasy numbers last season. Um but this team, that was not a winning team. That was not a winning plan. He makes so many mistakes that you cannot rely on him to really win games for you in a way like, you know, a Saints team relies on Drew Brees. He's not Drew Brees. He's not ever going to be Drew Brees. It's, just, it's not in the cards for him. Sorry, Jaguars fans. It's not going to happen. Um, 
the best bet is for you to rely on all this defensive talent, play ball control, utilize you know your guys like Allen Robinson, Julius Thomas, kind of sparingly and be very effective with them, but not have Blake Bortles throw the ball 40 times a game. It's just it's not a winning strategy, and that's what this team needs. That's what Gus Bradley needs. He needs to win because this is probably his last season in Jacksonville if they do not win. Yeah, especially now that they have you know some better defensive pieces in play. Yeah, uh, that's like his kind of thing. So if they if that happens, then you know then they're not in those negative game strip situations like they were last year, like you said. Uh, we'll wrap up the AFC South with the Titans. Heat. <clears throat> Gosh, remember how optimistic we were about Demarco Murray? Uh, I'm still wasn't a little a, optimistic. Wasn't that a great time? I was my yeah. I'll, I'll say that. I'm a, I'm still a, a little bit of optimism, and I'll kind of give that at the end here, but. Given what it once was, it's it's a big hit, you know. Given Marcus Mariota is looking to be the next franchise quarterback in Tennessee, the, the talent level of so many positions, um, or at least what could be for many of the the players on that team, how did this team not pull a good coach? I don't understand it. I mean, you got Doriel Green Beckham, who could possibly be the next elite guy at wide receiver. Um, you're signing, you're making good signings like Rashard Matthews. Um, the offensive line, I mean, as long as you just keep taking these guys, some of them are going to hit. Um, you got some nice defensive talent. And then the Titans, for whatever reason, decide to stick with Mike Malarkey. After going 2-7 and seven as a head coach last season, I just don't get it. Why Why would you do this? I mean, how did it, another, how did Adam Gates not end up in Tennessee? That's my question. For how horrific that team looks in Miami right now with that salary cap situation. Um, how did he not end up in Tennessee with a new franchise quarterback? Um, they could have had Derrick Henry and not signed to Marco Murray. <laughs> oh gosh, it was it was looking so good. But anyway, um, I'm expecting you know given the, the the level of coaching last season and play on both sides of the ball, um, I'm expecting the defense to remain pretty bad, meaning less carries on the ground for the likes of Demarco Murray. Then you throw in the fact that they drafted Derrick Henry. That's I know I know he's saying it right now, but it's unlikely that Derrick Henry doesn't at least kind of get involved somewhat um, in this offense. Maybe maybe more towards the second half, but he's just too good to keep off the field, in my opinion. Even though Demarco Murray is good in his own right. Um, yeah, I'm not as optimistic as I used to be on on Murray, but you know, in doing research for this show, I will say this. You know, Mike Malarkey has alluded to this exotic smash mouth type of strategy on offense um, over the offseason. And, you know, looking at what he's done in past locations, he's had some pretty horrific offenses, like in 2006 with the Dolphins, uh, 2012 with the Jaguars. However, there was a little stretch there that he had um, that I completely forgot. Um, he was the offensive coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons from 2008 to 2011. Uh, and that was the year of that was the area of Michael Turner when he got taken from you know he got sent over from San Diego to Atlanta and he just really killed him in fantasy for a good stretch of seasons. I think he was in the top ten two or three times. Um, the offense was ranked 13th and above all four seasons, including three of those seasons in the top ten. I mean the offense looked pretty good, but this was during a an era to where not all offenses had really transitioned to this very heavy. Pass offenses and kind of if you're balanced, you're in the minority. There are still a lot of teams who are utilizing the rush very heavily, and Atlanta was one of those teams. Now, can that work in this era of the NFL? I'm not so sure. 
But you know Malarkey's at least going to try. He's just one of those old school kind of guys, and he's not a very creative guy. So expect a ton of opportunity, at least at first. Now, whether that continues on as they're going to be trailing in my in an in all likelihood for a, a large majority of the season, um, that may cut into it. But yeah, I don't. I'm still kind of undecided somewhat. So overall, Murray has an ADP of 54th overall in the fifth round. I'm not really feeling that. And then Derrick Henry in the 89th overall. Uh, in the eighth round, at this point, I'm not really looking at either of them seriously, as I'd much rather have other options there. But I don't know. I guess we'll see how the the offseason goes, and maybe the volume will make it up for Murray. I'm not so sure, but I don't know. I, I'm trying to remain optimistic, Anthony. Maybe maybe you can help me out. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the reason for optimism for a guy you know like Murray is that maybe the coach just favors the veteran early and mm-hmm. you know lets him work. Um, I mean, this could just be a team that runs the ball 30 or 40 times a game whenever they're in it. I mean, between Mariota and the two running backs, we could just see a ton of, a ton of action in the run game for this team. I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm probably not going out of my way to draft either guy. I mean, I honestly have no idea how they're going to use Henry. Like, the draft ends, and like the first comment from Malarkey is like, oh, well, now we have two workhorse running backs. <laughs> I'm like, awesome, dude. There's only one football. Like what are we like? What what are you talking thanks, about? Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks. You and your exotic Smash Mouth of death. <laughs> I'm so like I'm just so I'm like permanently tilted by that hiring, like you were saying before. Oh, I just, God, yeah, it makes me so That's angry. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably just not going out of my way. Like I I'm I'm scooping up Murray a little bit in Dynasty. Like I did trade for him in the Dynasty League just because mm, I think like he's cheap. Uh, and like I think that there's gonna be games where he still gets the ball like 20 times. So from that perspective. I'll be interested in death ball once his price goes down. Because, I, I mean, I think eventually that's going to happen. Like, I, there's no way he's going to hang around as, like, a top 30 running back. Um, like, once people get a load of Henry and they think that Henry's good, like, that price will go down. That's what I think. Like, that's probably when I would I would kind of pounce on that. But I'm not, like, going out of my way. Yeah, maybe it's kind of one of those things, like, you know, maybe we were looking down on LaShawn McCoy last season. Maybe it turns out to be one of those situations to where, even though we're talking about how, how much more valuable passes are relative to carries in PPR leagues in fantasy now, maybe it's just kind of one of those things to where just the overwhelming volume that DeMarco Murray might receive might just, you know, might just kind of put him up to where, you know, we'll see. Maybe it was actually DeMarco Murray who was the, the driving force, the catalyst in that Dallas offense, and maybe it wasn't the offensive line. Um, that, we'll at least get to see that, for, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, one more division left. Wow, we're, we're, we're rolling here. Uh, mm-hmm. AFC West. We'll start with the Broncos. This is this is a tough spot to me because I think that Denver last year was a place that you know had running back value. Like there were weeks where Hillman was really valuable. There were obviously a couple weeks where CJ Anderson was really valuable. Like he was a hero against New England. He was just a beast. Um, so this this offense is definitely going to have value in the run game. This is a team that we still expect to be playing from ahead for large portions of the season. Um, so you're going to want a piece of this. And for me, Hillman's like basically out because they didn't really seem like they wanted to bring him back. He seems like veteran insurance because he knows the offense. But I really expect most of this work to come down to C.J. Anderson and to the rookie, um, Devontae Booker, who I like. I mean, I like Booker a lot. Like, if he wasn't there, I'd be saying C.J. Anderson, like, RB1 slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Now, him being there really complicates things for me because, I, I mean, I feel like we're going to see 
similar to what we saw last year from Anderson. Like probably more work, like not 150 in terms of carries, probably closer to like that 210 number that Hillman was at last year. Uh, so like, you know, you give a guy like that 210 carries, I think he'll be effective. Um, you know, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like a little over like a thousand total yards and you include the receiving, uh, maybe like five to eight touchdowns. So however you're going to value that in like a PPR league, like go ahead. Like I'm just not, I'm probably more going to be drafting Booker again until like those prices change because Anderson, uh, you know, is still going as, you know, like an RB2 and Booker is, is going very late. Like, you know, maybe a top 100 pick at best. And I'm just going to take that upside because again, like Anderson could get hurt again. Anderson could like the team. It's just like such a weird thing because the team matches the offer with Miami, which was like a huge offer. He's making like $6 million. So you're like, Oh, CJ Anderson is the guy, but then they go out and they draft Booker. And it's just like, it leaves you kind of scratching your head in terms of the usage. So like when I'm not sure about a situation, I'm just going to assume that if I take the early guy, I'm going to get it wrong. So I just take, I just take the latest and hope that I get a value out of it. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Um, I was a little higher on C.J. Anderson, but as time goes on, I'm kind of finding myself having um, less C.J. Anderson than I would have anticipated. As There's just other guys I would like to take um, at the range he's being taken in that third round, early fourth round area, that you know the, the outlook is much more clear. Will Devontae Booker be in um, involved early on? I don't know. Will Ronnie Hillman still be involved in this offense? I'm not so sure. Will C.J. Anderson... Uh, be effective as he was in the Super Bowl. I'm not sure. Um, was it was it the injury that he sus- he sustained early on in training camp? Um, will this offense pick back up without Peyton Manning as the quarterback? There's just so many question marks that to in- to invest a-, a pick like that, even though it you know the Gary Kubiak uh, rushing offenses point still remains. I don't know. There- there's just a lot more sure things and. We've seen the floor of C.J. Anderson, and it is not good. It is a low floor. You know, we had a stretch there where the ceiling appeared to be high, but that was also during a time when Peyton Manning had not, essentially wasn't throwing the ball with a pool noodle. <laughs> so there's drastic differences there. So I think I'm going to have, I'm with you, I'm going to be all over Devontae Booker as I love his talent. And if he does take the field, it's almost assuredly going to be a, a very heavy volume type of, um, type of opportunity for him with C.J. Anderson out. So, you know, give me the late round guy, and I'll let someone else kind of, kind of mess with C.J. Anderson. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I got my shares of Anderson early, so if he does do well, I'll still, I'll still get a piece probably. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs. He, give me your spit me your Jamal Charles takes. <clears throat> so, gosh, this one's tough, man. I, I came into this thinking, yeah, Jamal Charles, very clear number one. Why are you even kind of doubting him, you know? However, the more I looked into it, it's not, you know, the opinion holding that this could turn into a legit committee, as have, you know, many Kansas City coaches, uh, many, you know, Andy Reid himself, I think, actually came out and said that Sherkandrick West and Spencer Ware had earned more time at the running back position. Um, now I'm kind of starting to to wonder about that Charles pick in the, that early second round turn to where he's going so often. Um Another ACL injury. It's he's turning age 30. Um, it's not looking good for him. If he you know reduced the volume, he's still going to be you know probably still going to be very good. Still going to be one of the better running backs in the NFL. But will he be able to reach that that level of play that he used just last season? He displayed at the early part of the season. 
you know, in terms of uh, fantasy points per game average, he was killing it in the first five games before he went down. Um, I'm just concerned of everything that could go wrong with him, and I don't know if I, I don't want to be caught in a situation to where I'm investing a an early round pick in a guy that's you know all the signs are pointing to him and his opportunity really heading down, and I'm just I'm the guy sitting there saying, well, he's Jamal Charles, you know. I drafted the guy. This is supposed to be an elite guy. It kind of happens every season. You know, there's one of those two of those guys that, you know, we we draft the name and not the player, not the situation. And I'm kind of starting to doubt myself. I'm as of late, I've been going double, you know, two wide receivers. If I'm at one of those turn spots in best ball leagues, and opting to go for running backs in the third, fourth, you know, sixth round, like up to the sixth round. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of my feelings. I'm still I'm still working through them to be. Perfectly honest with you, as Jamal Charles is still, he still should be an elite talent um, for one more year. But also, it's my mind is not as at ease as it once was. Oh yeah, I mean that's so like there there are people who think like Jamal Charles is like a slam dunk this year. Like I don't think that. Like I like him. Like I like him, and I'll take him uh, because he's he's obviously a proven talent, and we know that like even if his work does get scaled back a little bit, he can still be very good. But, I mean, the second ACL is harder to recover from than the first. You know, and when you're 30, it's a lot harder than when you're 26 or 27. Um, so I'm not, I'm not like ready to say that like Charles is going to jump back into this thing and be like the RB1 again. And listen, like that team was better last year without him. Like not to say that like he doesn't make them better, but like, they won more games. They were better offensively. Like, I wrote all this out for Number Fire probably about a month ago. Like, their offense was better. And it kind of just points to, I mean, it, it more points obviously to the fact that, like, who you play and, and game script probably affects running back production more than, like, the talent of the actual running back. But, like, if you're the Chiefs and you went on, like, a 10 game win streak without Jamal Charles, like, are you really prioritizing him in your offense next year? Probably not. I mean, like, their priority really should be to have him healthy for the playoffs for once. So again, like very similar, like the Forte situation, probably even more so because coming off an injury, like I'm thinking that they're going to scale that workload back a little bit, get, get those guys like Sharknado, get uh where in there a little bit, just keep them fresh. I mean, and again, like if we're talking 15 touches a game instead of 20, like Charles can still do very well with that for fantasy. I just don't know. Like if I'm willing to take him over like some other guys, like I had a whole debate on Twitter the other day, about like him versus like Ezekiel Elliott. Like I'll take Ezekiel Elliott a hundred times out of a hundred over Jamal Charles. Like I'm just worried. Um, and they're like back to back right now. I'm pretty sure in eighty two. Like I, I would like. I'm worried about Jamal Charles. Like I, I think that there's legitimate concern. I think that like out of the guys who are like the dude on their team, quote unquote, like he's probably one of the guys I'm worried about the most. And you know, if I'm going running back heavy early, like there's guys like I would take Bell. Probably Gurley, David Johnson, Zeke. I probably take Lamar Miller over him. Like there's a there's a handful of guys I would take over him, and I just I just have like the feeling that there's always going to be someone in a draft that likes Charles better than me. Yeah, yeah, I can really get behind that. Just a uh, just a few numbers to throw out there just to kind of illuminate what I what I was noticing. Um, Sharkandrick West. So let, let's compare the three: you know, Sharkandrick West, Spencer Ware, Jamal Charles. So Jamal Charles, five point one yards per carry, very good. Um, however, Spencer Ware, 5.6 on a very similar number of carries. Um, yards per reception, Jamal Charles, 8.4, not bad. Uh, Sharkandrick West, 10.7. Uh, 
Um, Spencer Ware had more touchdowns on a on a tar- on a per carry basis. Um, there's just a lot of things that is it going to justify this this Chiefs team anymore? Really saying we're going to stick with Jamal Charles and we're going to ride him like a workhorse like we used to, or like he said, why not just if he's getting older and he's reaching a point to where he's still very valuable, but he's not at the the same health level he once was. You know, why run him through when we're projected to be a playoff team and we're going to need him in uh, these important situations? Yeah, exactly. We need you. We need you in December and January. You know, we don't need you as much in in September and October. That I think that's yes. like the football take. Yep. Uh, Oakland Raiders, we're going to agree probably on this one, but I am obviously super, super DeAndre Washington. And I believe that this is going to be his backfield sooner rather than later. I think that within the first month of the season, he's going to be the starter and he's going to be put, wow. putting up fantasy points. I believe it, Heath. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a truther. Is that what we call that? We call that a truther. That that, 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 is, that is a truther. Yeah. So I, you, you might you might be a fantasy zealot at that point. I'll take it. I anytime I get to use the word zealot in a sentence, I'll you know I'm, I'm cool with that. You're good. Okay. I uh I just think that he's better. I mean like you know Latavius Murray has had like one good quarter of football in his whole career. And wow. DeAndre Watt. I'm serious. So like I'm, I'm like serious oh, about that. Gosh. Like he had like the one big quarter against the Chiefs where he ran for two touchdowns. And like other than that, he's been like just a guy. Like he's been a guy like every year. We're like, oh man, high weight speed. Like he's so good. Like just give him a chance. And like last year he got a chance, and he was just very, very mad. And again, like yeah. he was, he was like, he was like young Frank Gore in the sense that if he got all this work and he finished the year as an RB one, but you'd never know it because you probably never started him. Um, you know, he averaged like 13 fantasy points a week in, in PPR, and it was just like the most useless, thir- you know, 13 points a week ever. Because they just came up like flat, you know, no touchdowns really, six touchdowns. He had 1,200 total yards, but like I think Washington could do more than that in that offense. Like I, I've been saying this for two years now. Like that offense is is being made to highlight Derek Carr's strengths. They're being made to get the ball out of his hands quickly and to play up tempo. And I just think that like the more they do that as a team, the less it moves towards Latavius Murray and the more it moves towards DeAndre Washington because that's the kind of offense he's played in for four years. Uh, he's been consistently catching the football in that offense. He's been, you know, obviously running the football very, very effectively. Uh, now, you know, obviously in college you get like those big holes when you play the spread. Uh, that won't happen as much in Oakland, but this team still has a good offensive line. They're well coached. Like I, I think that this team, at least on offense, I mean, and even defensively, they've made a lot of improvements. Like I, I think this team is going to be pretty strong next year. And I just I love DeAndre Washington. Like I just think he's a real talent. I think that Latavius Murray is is going to be reduced to very very little next year. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, man. That was some that was some fire. Holy moly. I'm not. I don't think DeAndre Washington will take over in the, within the first month, um, barring injury, of course. Um, I think it'll take a little more time, but I'm with you. I think he will overtake the job as, you know, Octavius Murray is kind of being looked at as one of these guys. I was like, yeah, he, you know, he's a great guy. He's got this job locked up, and they're just going to continue to ride this inefficient running back in both the um, early downs and passing game. He was not good. 5.7 yards per reception, just horrendous. Four fumbles. Barely eclipsed a thousand yards on 266 carries. I mean, it was essentially the touchdowns that saved him six touchdowns, and it wasn't even that great. Um, 
yeah, the guy is just not all that impressive. I know he's got measurables at the wazoo, and we loved the idea of what Latavius Murray could be, but not all these guys work out. Not all the guys that we kind of hold on the end of our rosters and, and say, if you know, only he was given a chance. You know, it takes more than just being an athlete to be good at football. you got to be able to play the position and play the position well to hold on to your job. It's, it's, it's a very competitive league, and, you know, I think Reggie McKenzie even said it himself. They don't view um, DeAndre Washington as this role-specific back. They view him as a three-down back, and he can be a three-down back. If at, at the very least, he's going to be in on passing downs. You can essentially just take that away from Latavius Murray right away, um, as he is far better at that than Latavius Murray ever will be. And if he gets on the field and starts taking that early down work away from him, it with the way this offense is trending with, you know, just Derek Carr, Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree. The, the offense was looking pretty good at, at various points last season. I think this could be huge. Um, I think Derek Carr, this is just what he needs. is kind of like a check down kind of guy in DeAndre Washington. It's And the fact that you can get him in, I think, sometimes even like the 200s of best ball leagues, like that's just ludicrous. I'm going to have – I already have a lot of DeAndre Washington. I'm going to have so, so much more. And rightfully so. I mean, listen, I am I am going to be the biggest bull on him in the, in the China shop, as you can probably tell. So, yeah. listen, if I go down with that ship, that's fine. But I just think that, like, I think that if you analyze, this is a situation where I think if you analyze the football side of things, it does make a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, Chargers, Heath. You, said, you told me that we had fire takes on the Chargers going into the show. It's the oh, last boy. backfield of the show. I saved it for last. Spit the fire. So, two guys own in this backfield, as we know. You know, first round pick Melvin Gordon and Danny Woodhead. So, Danny Woodhead, as of right now, just even drafting right now, could be the greatest value in all of best ball right now. So, Ken Wisenhunt, he's back in San Diego as the offensive coordinator. When Wisenhunt was the offensive coordinator in 2013, Danny Woodhead saw 88 targets and 106 carries, and that was with Ryan Matthews in the offense who saw over 280 touches, uh, 280 carries, and over 30 um, targets as well. He saw a ton of work, and Danny Woodhead was still heavily involved. Now we have Melvin Gordon with question marks all around him. Is he is he good? We don't know. Um, he recently had a microfracture surgery in January that for, I guess it just slipped the team's mind to let anyone know of until just, it was just this month they let us know. He might not even be ready for the season, could start the season on the pup list. This could be a long-term injury that just kind of, you know, zaps away any sort of um, athleticism he has left in him. He didn't look all that great last season. Uh, But, yeah, back to Danny Woodhead. Right now, his ADP is 60th overall after after finishing as the number three overall PPR running back last season. That's ridiculous. He's going behind Jeremy Langford, Matt Jones, Latavius Murray, Thomas Rawls, Jeremy Hill, you should be scooping him up everywhere in best ball. He might be the number two target in San Diego next season. You know, considering the pass catching core is Keenan Allen, Antonio Gates, or the, the corpse of Antonio Gates, whatever's left of him at this point, Stevie Johnson, Travis Benjamin, uh, there, there's really no, and not to mention, Melvin Gordon might not even see the field. So he might even see more early down work as there's no one behind either of these guys, you know, unless you consider Dreamia Smith as, like, this long-term, you know, kind of sleeper option. Brandon Oliver is just a guy. That's all he's ever going to be. Just a jag. 
you know, Melvin Gordon, it's, there's just, I don't know. Right now, to get him, you have to take him at 73 overall, early seventh round. You don't even know if he's going to have the passing down work, as Danny Woodhead proved to be so much more effective at that point. Um, he couldn't do it between the tackles last season. This offensive line's still not good. Um, that's going to be, you know, a, a big detriment there. The defense is still really bad. It's probably going to be a ton of passing, very similar to what they do in New England, a lot of short passing type stuff. So he might not even have the opportunity, let alone the injury, the Oh gosh, he can't. He didn't even score a touchdown last season, they, and you have to take him at that premium. Still, people are still thinking of Melvin Gordon as, oh yeah, that last season, 2015, never happened. We're we're on to 2016 now. First round pick Melvin Gordon, he's back on the field, hopefully. So, yeah, as of right now, I think Melvin Gordon is still kind of being viewed as being part of this when he might not even make get on the field. That. Danny Wood had at his, at his appropriate value right now, ADP 60th, 60th overall. This guy could see 100 targets this season. And if he does, um, he's just going to be just fantasy lights out. So you need to grab him when you can. Perfect zero RB kind of guy to grab. Um, not to mention he even sees goal line work apparently, which still shocks me. But, yeah, Danny Woodhead, get, get as much of him as you possibly can. Yeah, I mean, Woodhead doesn't always make sense, but it works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, like you were saying, like, why does he get goal line work? I don't know, but I'm going to take advantage of it. You know, like, and the biggest point that you made, I thought, out of that whole thing, and that was all obviously very good. But my favorite point was when you just talked about how, like, this, like, this offense under Ken Wisenhunt, even, even with, like, a primary running back doing lots of really good things, allowed Danny Woodhead to still be incredibly effective for fantasy. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing, because even, because then that, to me, that takes away the argument of like, oh, Melvin Gordon is going to be really good, and then Woodhead's not a factor. Like, no, like that's, that's actually, that actually is false. Like, there's nothing really to back that up, because Gordon could be good, and Woodhead, Woodhead would still get, you know, in theory, you know, tons of work, tons of receptions. Um, and yeah, I mean, Keenan Allen is the, is the dude in the passing game, but like, Gates is always really close to getting hurt. And even just after those two guys, there's still going to be a ton of targets left over, you know, without Malcolm Floyd and, and some of those other guys. So I, I'm totally with you on Woodhead, and I'm probably not drafting uh, Gordon at all. Yeah, yeah, and I actually kind of I missed a point here on my notes. Um, just just to kind of really illuminate just the amount of work he saw in 2013 and 2015. So under Wizenhunt, uh, 88 targets, 106 carries, and that was with Ryan Matthews on the team. Torrey had the, I think, his best fantasy season of uh, of his career. Uh, last season, his PPR number three overall season, 96 targets and 98 carries. Wow. I mean, he, he could see more than that. And that, that's amazing to me. And the fact that he's going in the fifth round, like, holy moly. This guy could be just an incredible value. Yeah, and he's a guy who you would imagine his ADP drops as, like, the offseason progresses, then it does rise. Yeah. So I think that's another plus. Uh, anything else? Any other takes you have before we wrap up? No, I think I'm all taked out. Um, yeah, for for you, those of you still listening to us, you know, in our in our ramblings, uh, just so you know, next week we are officially moving to the road of his radio channel with our Monday shows. We'll return later with our DFS shows at uh, when the season starts back up. But yeah, as of now, all these shows that we've been doing weekly, they will now appear on the road of his radio channel. Yeah, really exciting stuff. Uh, a bunch of people have already reached out to us on Twitter 
you know, congratulating us and stuff like that. I just wanted to say thank mm-hmm. you for that. Um, I'm excited. I mean, it's, it's obviously a big step for you and I, Heath. I hope that we, uh, we do the channel well. Uh, but definitely, like you were saying, like definitely stay tuned in and, and, you know, and be subscribed to the Fantasy Forefront because during the, during the football season, we'll definitely be back with that DFS show. Um, so that's it. I mean, that wraps up our, uh, not our final show here, but just our, our last show for a while, probably on this channel at the Fantasy Forefront. Uh, definitely still be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Forefront Pod if you want some updates. Rate and subscribe to the show. We'd, we'd love to get some comments, especially, uh, before we head over to the new channel. And, you know, more importantly than ever, right? Pick up a Rotary subscription if you want to support Heath and I through one of our pieces or through one of the show links. Once we're over there and our show is posted at Rotaviz, uh, you get league winning information. Uh, we pick up a portion of the profits. So, I mean, uh, come over with us, you know, come over, check out the new show. It should, you know, still plenty of hot takes. Uh, we have an awesome guest next week coming on. So I think that there's plenty of reasons to check us out. And, you know, again, we just really thank all the listeners. Uh, for staying with us, putting up with my rambling, um, and, you know, and Heat's awesomeness, because that's, that's kind of what gets us the move, you know, as you're, you're a faithful listener. So thank you for that. Uh, thanks as always to Run for Johnny for the podcast artwork, and thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Perfect. Okay. Sorry to kind of.